You're listening to WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up Show starts right now. And welcome, welcome. Well, it's Monday, and that means it is Fired Up time right here on WJMSRadio.com. Hi, everybody. This is Steve. I'm your host each week. And this week, like every week, we're going to get into the mechanics of what makes the political system here in this country tick or not, as the case may be. So I hope everybody has uh, continued to stay safe and um, beware of all of the raging COVID-19 madness going on all around us. Uh, We'll get into that, and as we always do, let's start off with our numbers. Uh, So in uh, the week just concluded, uh, the United States has posted 14.7 million cases of COVID-19 in this country and 282,000 people have died from the disease. And uh, in addition, we're learning that more than 100,000 people are presently in hospitalization due to the pandemic spreading across this country. So what we have is we have a pandemic raging across our country. Uh, We are starting, we've just opened the door to the winter cold and flu season, which is going to add another wrinkle to the strain on our hospital system and particularly our medical professionals and our first responders as well as our hospital capacity here in this country. So we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that and kind of look at you know what is continuing to go on with our response as a country to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so on the on the bright side you know we have continued progress with the first two of the series of vaccines that are under development and racing toward the marketplace. The vaccine from, from Pfizer and from Moderna are fast approaching distribution to the states, uh, targeting the most vulnerable first responders as first recipients, and increased dosages will then be produced, which over the coming months will be made available to more and more of the American population. So that's that's the positive news. And as I said, there are at least three other vaccines which are moving through their their testing trials and moving toward getting approvals from the FDA for use in combating the vaccine. So we continue to have hope uh, growing in terms of having a regimen of vaccines that will be available to help us combat this disease. Now, that goes without saying that there are still, you know, the efforts that we, uh, the public, must take in order to protect ourselves uh, as we await the broad distribution of these vaccines to assist. And then once the vaccines are made available, you know, one of the concerns that's being posed and being discussed by uh, medical and health professionals and, you know, politicians and news organizations is the percentage of people, uh, last time I checked, it was still ranging around 40% of the American public has said they will not take the vaccine. And, you know, the real, the real deal of that situation is that, you know, if there is a substantial portion of the, po- of the population that is unvaccinated and continues to not practice the the type of first person responses that we've been told by our our doctors and our scientists that the the pandemic will 
at best be under partial control and at worst will continue to move forward uh, maybe at a slower rate uh, just due to the you know majority of the population having been vaccinated so you know the, the question remains and it's you know personal choice is to whether or not you are going to uh, take the coronavirus vaccine when it is made available to the general public and again that's probably not going to be before springtime at best um, and if you are going to practice the mask uh, wearing and social distancing and personal hygiene uh, advice that we have received from the medical and scientific community. Uh, all of those factors need to be in place if we are going to see a reduction in you know, the daily, weekly, and monthly case totals uh, and perhaps a return toward a more normal uh, way of life here in this country, you know, with schools maybe being able to be back open, you know, more businesses coming back online, you know, and, and so forth. Uh, it has been done in other countries where, you know, more stringent restrictions have been put in place and they've gotten their vaccine, I'm sorry, they've gotten their pandemic responses uh, well under control. The U.S. continues to be an outlier in that we have a drastically growing number of coronavirus uh, victims in this country uh, that has, has seen it go from, you know, a, a, a thousands per day uh, category to two thousands per day. And depending on, you know, which expert or which uh, pundit you're listening to could see us hitting, you know, 3,000, 3,500, 4,000 uh, people infected a day and, you know, thousands of additional deaths that occur. So the work is still out there to be done and we need to all individually and as a nation step up and do our part. So, you know, let's, let's keep that in mind. Uh, I realize there are a lot of people out there that, you know, may not believe the science uh, and so forth. To those people, I would say, you know, check in your, your circle of contacts, check with people you know, check with your family. I'm pretty sure that most of us can identify at least someone in our circle of communication that we know that has been impacted either directly with someone they love having the COVID disease or, you know, through, you know, friends or people that we know that have been afflicted with the illness and, you know, even worse case, that may have died from the illness. Um, it continues to be a major, major problem in this country, and we have to collectively stand up and just draw that line and say, that's it, no further, enough is enough, we're going to do whatever it takes to put this pandemic down. So, you know, just call to action, do what we need to do, you know, talk to your family, talk to your friends, encourage them to follow the guidelines that have been given uh, once the vaccines come out. Uh, pay attention to, you know, how it's rolling out and the reports that come back from trusted media about how the vaccine is impacting those that have been uh, injected with it. So I know that once the vaccine, you know, comes out to my segment of the population, that I am absolutely going to roll up my sleeve and get the COVID-19 vaccination, excuse me. So, you know, 
just more of what we need to do in order to help keep, you know, our loved ones, our community and our country safe. Um, some other things going on. Let's get into the politics like we usually do here on the show. Some news that came out of the, the prior week. Uh, the House introduced two bills that um, made it onto my radar uh, because of the impact they could have in terms of getting you know, more legislation passed and, and signed into law uh, with regard to combating the COVID virus and the economic and social uh, and you know, daily life impacts that it's had in this country. Uh, the first bill uh, was passed uh, by the House, and again, we'll go over to the Senate. Uh, and in, in a sense, you know, to synopsize it greatly, uh, this bill would put in place a requirement that a, a bill passed in one house of the legislative branch uh, would be required to be voted on up or down by the other house. Uh, what that means is if the House created a bill to do a specific thing, you know, for example, then it is required that the Senate would need to take up that bill and either vote it up or vote it down, uh, but that it wouldn't be allowed to just be tabled or otherwise placed to the side and ignored. Um, the second bill would, would be a little more wide-ranging and this goes to some of the process that is undertaken, you know, as bills are created. Oftentimes there are, you know, conferences and meetings and sessions that are held either intra-party, uh, that is within the party that's, that's sponsoring the bill up, uh, or, you know, inter-house or inter-cameral inter uh, where, you know, bills are discussed, the merits are weighed and so forth. Uh, the second bill would require that these uh, sessions be publicly viewable. That is, they would be live streamed, uh, viewable by the public. Um, and, you know, to get, give an example, think about how that the House and Senate sessions are covered on the uh, news channel or the cable channel C-SPAN. So that, you know, that one of the two C-SPAN channels will be covering the activities going on in the House of Representatives and the other would be covering actions going on in the Senate when the Senate is in session. So th that would mean that these negotiating sessions, uh, these uh, conference committee meetings where details of the bill are discussed and weighed and voted on and so forth would be publicly viewable so that there would be, you know, a a loss of the, quote, behind closed doors, close quote, approach to how legislation moves from a bill to a law. I think both of these, you know, in my opinion, um, in a nonpartisan sense, are very good pieces of legislation. I mean, clearly, there are, you know, hundreds and hundreds of bills that do things that, you know, the American people need in one form or fashion, uh, one way or another, that have been placed, you know, on the desk of the leader of the Senate, never to be heard from again, where, you know, that's not doing the will of the people. Uh, I, I think if we have a piece of legislation that clearly benefits the broad, you know, majority of the American public, 
let's say, you know, a bill on highway reconstruction that is, you know, proposed by one party and the other party decides that they don't want to do a bill on highway reconstruction. Therefore, the leader of the Senate takes that bill and, you know, so-called places it on his desk and just leaves it there and never brings it to the floor for a vote. You know, this first bill would severely inhibit that. I'm not saying it might you know, limit it completely. There may be reasons why a bill needs to be delayed, but it would make the, the process of you know, purely political decisions on whether or not a bill comes to the floor of the, the body that needs to vote on it, uh, take that out of the hands of the leader of that body and make it a requirement that it should, at a minimum, get an up or down vote. You know, and, and that's really all you can ask. If, if you know, you're a congressman or you're a senator and you or your party don't agree with a piece of legislation that's proposed, vote it down, send it back, let it get reworked. You know, go back to the, to the drawing board, go back to the discussion table, figure out what needs to be done in order to make that necessary piece of legislation something that gets the attention and gets the votes that it needs you know, potentially to pass or that it, you know, is, is finally killed and the reasons for that, that voting down are known. Okay, as I said, if, if it doesn't work in that form, then it's incumbent on the party and uh, the House, uh, the legislative House that brought that bill to come back and, you know, rework it, maybe find another way to get to what needs to be done. You know, and, and in the recent last six months, we've seen just the most textbook example of that with the battle going back and forth over the next version of the stimulus package. You know, the House has proposed a package and the Senate rejected it or refuses to discuss it. The Senate proposes a, how, a package which, you know, doesn't meet the standards that the House had set. And it goes back and forth and back and forth on a seesaw and nothing gets done. Uh, that, you know, this legislation where a bill that is passed in one house uh, would need to be addressed and voted on by the other, uh, other house in the legislative branch would go a long way to eliminating the, the gridlock in Washington that we have suffered through now, you know, going on, I don't know, 20 years. Um, it, it, it's a good step. It's one that at least should be discussed in both, uh, both chambers. And, you know, maybe it becomes the first one to get this, uh, this up or down vote by the other body. So uh, if you think that is a good idea, then, you know, reach out to your House and Senate representatives in Washington and let them know. You know, send them an email, send them a letter, phone their office. You know, get get on board and let them know what your thinking is on, you know, how bills that are created can get more decisive action uh, by the House and the Senate. Um, the second bill I'm, I'm also a fan of. I think transparency is a word that, you know, our political leaders and our our pundits and talking heads on in the media uh, you know, say and drop at, at just a, a whim that really there isn't a whole lot of transparency. And if 
the idea that these negotiations in establishing the parameters of a bill uh, are going to be the subject of public consumption, uh, maybe that will drive getting some actual work done. And again, go toward getting bills that represent what the people want uh, and not just what the political interests and the lobbyists and the big money groups want. And we can get some stuff done. We can break this gridlock. So, you know, that too, if that's an idea that resonates with you, whether you're Democrat or Republican, uh, get a hold of your elected leaders and let them know. You know, get them the message that you want to see that, you know, negotiations on legislation do get carried on a C-SPAN channel uh, or do get, get reported out. You know, we are moving toward an age where just about every facet of you know, the government operation uh, at the, the legislative and executive branch, and even to a certain extent to the, the judiciary branch, uh, is becoming available for public consumption. Uh, you may not know this, but every Friday, the Supreme Court produces audio records of the cases that were held in that preceding week. So that if there's a case before the Supreme Court that you're very interested in, uh, on Fridays, you can go to Supreme Court website, uh, you can identify the case that you want to listen to, and you can hear the arguments before the justices about that bill and see what it is they're talking about. You know, and that's something, you know, just, just to to, to toot the horn of the show a little bit here. Um, those of you that have listened to this show on a regular basis know that you know, I, I talk about getting you know, the information in front of the people all the time. I talk about the need for transparency and you know, for you know, pulling the covers back off of this, this secret operation that goes on in Washington. And this goes a long way toward that. You know, I also talk a lot about being informed, about not just accepting, you know, the, the sound bites or the news headlines, you know, or the, the if, it le if it bleeds, it leads uh, presentations from mainstream media. Dig in. Find your own facts. If there is a controversial Supreme Court decision, uh, that's going to be played on those Friday sessions uh, the week after it has been presented in court. So that gives you the opportunity to go and hear the arguments on both sides and hear what the justices are saying and get a better understanding of how these decisions are arrived at. You know, so that you know, if, if you're hearing a decision that you disagree with, um, you can go and listen to the arguments and perhaps get an understanding of why that decision came to be. So just another uh, piece of information, another arrow to put in the quiver, uh, and you can find that at, uh, I believe it is scotus.gov. And I'll post a link to the Supreme Court website. Uh, I'll, I'll post it out to Facebook uh, right after the show. So it'll be available on Fired Up Radio on uh, Facebook.com. And, you know, if, if that, again, is something that interests you, I urge you to uh, take a little bit of time at some point and, and listen to the arguments that go on. In, at the Supreme Court, you know, it is something that, you know, before now we kind of had to wait for the interpretation of print media, which was the only media allowed in, uh, in order to hear what the justices are saying. 
you know, and, and understand better what their thinking is. So check that out and, you know, find out what's going on. Uh, of course, you know, the, the legislative sessions in the House and the Senate are frequently covered on C-SPAN. And, you know, there's a, a wealth of information and understanding that you can get as to, you know, what our elected officials, you know, are thinking, what is driving their actions and their decisions. So, you know, find out for yourself. Don't just rely on third person narrative. Uh, get the information directly from the source. You know, as I said, the, uh, the transition is underway. And now that the Biden administration or the incoming administration uh, has begun to get access to the agencies and individuals that they need to talk to uh, as they prepare for transition into taking over the offices of president and vice president, uh, we're seeing still some more games being played by the incumbent administration. Uh, came out in the news this week that the uh, current administration was blocking access by the transition team um, of the incoming uh, Biden administration to certain key departments in the Department of Defense, in particular those engaged with national security. Uh, among these were the Defense Intelligence Agency um, and the National Security Agency, uh, DIA and NSA respectively as well as the security agencies of four of the uh, military branches, the Army, Navy, Marine Corps, and Air Force. And, you know, they are being blocked from getting access to intelligence information that is vital in, you know, forming their plans as an incoming administration about what to do with some of the, the situations going on in the world. So, you know, uh, again... You know, it is another game in the game of games that's that's being played and, you know, needs to have a bright light shined on it. You know, it is it is something that the incoming administration is entitled to and should be provided to them without, you know, any kind of, of dance or strings attached or whatever. Uh, but yet the Trump administration is still uh playing this, you know, my ball, my bat, my marbles game. Um, but, you know, to, to its credit, the transition team for the incoming administration uh, has been moving forward with uh, resolute speed in terms of gathering the information and speaking with the individuals that they can, they do have access to, in order to help them get their plans in place. Um, the, the Biden administration continues to name out uh, at the, the topmost levels of the cabinet. And again, I, I've said I will review all of those uh, appointees or nominees uh, once the top level chairs have been filled. Uh, so hopefully with the few remaining that are out there, we should be able to spend time in next week's episode talking about who's going to be coming in to run the show uh, in a Biden administration. Um, I, I don't want to do it piecemeal. I want to be able to give a whole picture 
and you know be able to give at least some information on backgrounds and qualifications and pros and cons and so forth so you know we'll we'll pick that up i promise we'll 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 attend to that uh maybe if we're lucky uh on next monday's show so you can look forward to that all right let's um let's take our break here uh when we come back on the other side of the music uh we're going to talk a little bit uh about uh again some more games going on uh as well as i want to get into some further discussion uh, on strategy and tactics in a uh, political sense uh, and talk about the Republican and Democratic parties. You're listening to Fired Up Radio right here on WJMSRadio.com. This is Steve, and we'll be right back after the break. Never had a chance to grow home. 
song as we face in so many ways uh, winter in America, uh, both from a climate perspective as you know, we, especially if you're as, as I am here in the Northeast, uh, cold temperatures are definitely set in place, uh, as well as the uh, winter struggle we're going to have, as I talked in the first segment, uh, with coronavirus and what that's going to mean for our country. So I wanted to get into for the second segment here, um, one of the, uh, I guess you'd call it, favorite topics of the show, and that is the games that are played politically uh, here in this country, in particular in Washington, D.C. And uh, in this transition period, as we now sit some, I guess, 39 days, maybe 40 days, 38 days, until the inauguration and the start of the Biden administration, uh, we still see some some very, very concerning games being played on the Republican side. And I'm not just talking about all of the, the court cases and the battles and, and 
the the sound bites and accusations going back and forth about the outcome of the election and all of that. Um, what I'm, I mean is, you know, they're Republicans uh, and Democrats who are playing a, a different level of the game as we go through the transition period. Um, what we're seeing and, you know, what, what's been brought up uh, for some limited discussions in other media sources is the apparent silence uh, one way or the other by the mainstream Republican Party to comment on the actions being taken by the president and his team uh, with regard to the election. Uh, we're not seeing, you know, those Republicans who you know, may believe that it is time to accept uh, what the American people have decided and move on and move forward and, you know, get back down to the serious business of governing this country. Um, and, you know, the, the question is raised and the question has been raised as to why this might be happening. You know, some are saying that, you know, the, the Republicans and in particular those Republicans who now that 2020 election uh, is in our rearview mirror are looking forward to um, to the midterms in a lesser sense, but more importantly to the 2024 presidential cycle uh, for those that may have aspirations to run uh, against the Biden team for the presidency and vice presidency in 2024. And, you know, as a result of that and the fact that uh, Donald Trump has been raising just an astronomical war chest uh, of, of donations uh, you know, through this, this process of supposedly funding these court battles. But you know, what, what has come out in the news is that you know, as much as 75% of the, the dollars raised by Donald Trump uh, in this period are actually going to go to Donald Trump. Uh, that he will be able to spend that money as he sees fit on whatever he wants to spend it on, you know, and perhaps the understanding or the sense is out there that one of the things he would invest that money in would be, you know, a you know political campaign primarying uh, those Republicans who uh, did not meet the Trump loyalty test. And, you know, basically sabotage their prospects for being reelected either in the midterm cycle in 2022 or in the presidential cycle in 2024. So it, it is a, a fear of what uh, the the Trump ghost of elections future might present uh, that is having them, you know, hold silent on their opinions, either pro or con uh, for fear of. Uh, enraging the sitting president. Uh, the Democrats, on the other hand, because as you know, I, I try to be you know equal across the board and, and point it out where I see it. Um, the Democrats continue to play this softball game in a hardball baseball game, to use an analogy, uh, and you know just have not fought. Uh, as much tooth and nail as many believe they should be. 
in terms of trying to get an agenda moved forward to, to do as they profess to benefit the American people. For example, uh, just recently, the Democratic uh, House, uh, under the majority leadership of Nancy Pelosi, uh, has come back with a stimulus package proposal that is roughly half of what they said was their red line and that they would not go below. Uh, and they have dropped down from you know, $1.8 trillion to $900 billion dollars. Uh, of stimulus aid to be offered, which is closer to what the Republicans were looking for in the first place. Now, mind you, the Republicans were, were looking lower than that. They were looking at $500 billion to you know, somewhere around $750, maybe. Uh, both numbers are ridiculously low and limited in scope as to what they would provide. But the fact that you know, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats have come back with this really low-end uh, response, uh, ostensibly, according to them, to, you know, to move the negotiations forward to an action phase and to get something done. And as, as you know, Nancy Pelosi has said, uh, her goal is to get something out to the American people. And then, you know, after the you know, 20th of January, to move forward with additional assistance under the Biden administration. Uh, and you know, that, that's a laudable idea and understood in, in terms of what their intention is. But the reality is that it's been eight months since, since any economic aid from the federal government has, has flowed to the American people you know, in, in the form of a stimulus check uh, and, you know, and in continuing legislation in support of unemployment support and support for small businesses, uh, first responders, etc. And this new proposal drastically cut short the numbers that they had proposed uh, in, in their last uh, offering, the $1.8 trillion. And, you know, it, it really uh, helps only a little, you know, keep in mind that there are people in this country who have been out of work since April. Uh, there are businesses, particularly small businesses, all across this country, uh, and, and irregardless of political control of the state or county or city that they operate in, that uh, these businesses have closed, and it is unlikely, uh, if at all, if they will reopen. Uh, so those jobs are lost. There are still, you know, 10 million or 12 million people who are unemployed. And I saw some statistics on Sunday that said there's as many as 6 to 7 million of those people who have permanently left the workforce. That is, they have given up on the prospect of, you know, going back to work. Now, what they are doing to make ends meet, uh, you got me. You know, but and again, you know, I, I don't just say this anecdotally, you know, I'm I'm as much a, a member of that club as as anybody else. Uh, and, you know, it, it's been it's coming up on eight months that, you know, I've been in active search for a new career. And, you know, 
not with a, a whole lot of of positive prospects, you know. Uh, but you you got to keep swinging, you got to keep the faith, and you got to keep moving forward. So that's that's what I do. But you know, I say that to say, you know, I understand that from a personal perspective. Uh, it is a struggle. Uh, it it's a struggle every day. And the fact that there are, you know, millions and millions upon millions of other Americans out there that are also facing this hardship um, just makes it all the more painful, uh, especially, you know, in, in positions such as I am where, you know, I do this show because I care that, you know, the American system needs to be responsive to its people. And right now, it does not seem that the American political system responds in any way to the real needs of the American public. So, I say that to say, you know, it is imperative for us to continue and keep up the pressure on our elected officials to move them forward, to move them to get, you know, economic assistance where it is so desperately needed. And, you know, it... it if it's going to be that there's going to be a, 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 a plan offered under the outgoing administration that gets some of that done, fine. Let's get that. Let's get on top of that. Let's get it done, get it written, get it signed by the president, and get it in the works. You know, there are, you know for, for people who are unemployed, uh, unemployment and extended benefit unemployment for the most part, runs out for everybody on the day after Christmas. And just leave that sit there for a second. Merry Christmas to us all. Um, for, you know, for others, there are deadlines that are, are even closer uh, and some that are beyond that that are even more uh, drastic. At the end of December, as you've probably heard, the protections against evictions from from landlords uh, or from uh, repossession by mortgage companies ends on the on the 31st of December. So at 12:01 a.m. on January 1st, uh, some estimates are that they're going to be between nine and 14 million people who are going to become homeless, that they are going to be evicted from their apartments, or that their houses are going to begin the foreclosure process. And that's going to add, you know, as many as 40 million more people into the critical phase of surviving this pandemic. And, you know, we have not heard a comprehensive solution uh, come out anywhere close to being a, a signed, sealed and delivered deal uh, from the House and the Senate and legislation to go to the president in order to address this. So, you know, th this is serious. These are serious times. We are the, the clock is ticking. We are in the final month uh, where it is it is possible that many people, some of your neighbors uh, may become homeless, may be evicted from their homes or from their apartments uh, at the stroke of midnight on December 31st to January 1st. So, you know, that that's a real fear and that fear is just going to exacerbate not only the the coronavirus problem we have in this country in terms of the number of people 
who could be further exposed to uh, the coronavirus. It is going to increase the, the food anxiety that are being suffered right now in, in terms of the number of families, the number of uh, men and women, and most importantly, the number of children who will go to bed hungry every night uh, because there, there's no money available to put food on the table, let alone to try and keep a roof over your head or find a new place to live. You know, and it's just one cruel irony on top of another. Did you know, for example, that uh, particularly in the terms of uh, apartment hunting, if you have an eviction on your record, it can take up to 10 years for that to go away. So that means for the, for the possibility of 10 years, you will not be able to rent another place to live because you were evicted from your current residence because of COVID beyond your control and you're just out there. So what are all those people, what are all those families going to do? They can't all go couch surfing, you know, with family and loved ones and, and all of that. Homelessness is going to be a huge problem. Um, and this is something that our elected officials from the local level, the state level, federal level, all need to be addressing. And even though the incoming administration is promising assistance, they're not going to be there until the third week in January, in the, the height of the winter season here in America. You know, as the song says, winter in America, there's going to be snow on the ground in many places. Temperatures are going to be cold. Kids can't get into school to get access to maybe that one good, sustaining, healthy meal that they were getting every day, you know, and, and on and on and on. And the fact that our elected officials can sit comfortably in Washington, D.C. and not, you know, feel this pain and, and show a little more human sympathy uh, is, is unacceptable and it's astonishing. You know, this is, this is the richest, most powerful country in the world. And we are better than this. You know, we need to have our leaders, whether it's the incumbent administration or the incoming administration, they need to address this as their top priority and not just, and not just in terms of the words they speak. Uh, we need to see concrete actions. Uh, we need to hear uh, more detailed plans on specifics of what the, the current administration is going to do with its remaining 30 days, as well as what the incoming administration is going to do to pick up that ball and move it forward. And, you know, they, they should be more than capable of giving us that information, that uh, comfort, that reassurance that, you know, things are going to change and change for the better. And to the extent that we're not getting that, we need to be ringing their bell and letting them know that we want to hear from them what it is that they are going to do. Not just a, a white paper, not just bullet points, but give us some facts. Give us some realities on the ground. What is going to be done to address 
the eviction crisis uh, and you know, what is going to be done to address the, 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 the food anxiety that's out there and all of those elements. And, you know, it, it's high time that our elected leaders pick up and do what they need to do. You know, maybe, you know, maybe they all need to go and, and spend a couple of weeks um, living in, you know, a rural apartment uh, or, you know, trying to get by on, you know, uh, on food stamps for two weeks without their expense accounts and their limos and their Georgetown high rises. Uh, you know, maybe they need to to walk in the shoes of the everyday Americans who are out here trying not just to make ends meet, but to make them look at each other so that they're at least pointing at each other. Uh, you know, it, it's it is absolutely shameful. And it's not like it's an impossible task. Other nations around the world uh, who have the same problems that we have here in this country, maybe their populations aren't as big. OK, granted. But still, you know, there are countries that have been paying their uh, residents, their people, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars a month since April, since the pandemic started and have done a whole lot more for their constituents and keeping them, you know, as as close to whole as possible. Uh, and yet all we get are the politicians bickering back and forth about which package is too big, you know, and so forth. Um, you know, it it this is these are extraordinary times. These are unprecedented times. And we need to take whatever actions we can do to protect the American people now and worry about the, the consequences, including the impacts to the budget and all of that uh, a little bit later. Um, you know, the, the, primary, the, the primary marker for how well we are doing in this country should not be the stock market. It should be the homeless rate. It should be the number of people who go to bed each night hungry. Those are the more important numbers. And, you know, it, it's, it's up to us to get that message to our elected officials in the strongest terms possible. As I said last week, we've seen protests, you know, we see protests outside the Supreme Court, you know, for decisions on, you know, uh, important issues, don't get me wrong, you know, whether it's abortion, whether it's, um, you know, the, the election results, whether it's all, any one of, of all of these, what we have not seen in anywhere near the same numbers are protests on how many people in this country are going to be homeless on January 2nd, on how many children uh, face food anxiety worries across this country, not just the cities, this is not a city problem. This is an American problem. This, this is impacting, you know, suburban America, rural America, everywhere America. And, you know, it is up to every one of us to, to get out, get on our, our J-O-B and communicate with our elected leaders uh, to, to address this. And, 
you know, it, it's it's something all of us have to do, you know, and to the Democrats who, you know, are are playing or, or marching in this regimented fashion and, and following all the old rules and standards and protocols. Um, take a look back at history and remember uh, what happened to the British Redcoats as you know, they landed on the shores of the, the newly uh, uh, emancipated colonies uh, in an effort to take back the colonial United States. They marched out in regimented ranks with bright red coats on and absolutely got decimated because they were facing a force that was fighting a guerrilla war. Well, Democrats, you were fighting, you fighting using regimented techniques against a, an, op, an opposing force that is not playing by rules, that is not following established protocols, that is, is rallying up and ginning up uh, you know, public animus against you uh, for no other reason than to maintain a status quo that really is no longer workable or is heading toward being no longer workable in this country. Uh, we are becoming a country that is uh, racially and culturally diverse. And that is the way of it. And no amount of you know, talk about walls built or you know, children separated uh, is really going to, to stop that for long. Uh, no amount of you know, legislation uh, to restrict incoming uh, immigration is going to hold off the change that is occurring right here on our home soil right now with the people we have here now. So you know, it, it is time for fewer words and more action, less talk and more pen to paper. Let's get in contact with our elected officials. Let's get them on point and on game in terms of giving us a true blueprint of what exactly they are going to do in the next 30, 60, 90, 120 days uh, to, to ease, if not end, the suffering and the struggle that we are in. As we've said, and as you've heard the doctors and the scientists say time and time again, if we did if the public did the basic protocols that they call for, we could save you know, tens if not hundreds of thousands of lives from COVID-19 uh, by the, the, the summer and into the fall when the vaccines will be out and fully distributed. And then once the vaccines come, even more people will uh, be protected and will, will either not get as sick or avoid the COVID-19 sickness altogether, and lives will be saved. Um, and the idea that everything else we're doing needs to just be put on hold as we patiently wait for vaccines to come out is the wrong approach. And we need to, to be forward-looking, forward-acting, and go do what we need to do in order to work with the scientists and the doctors who are doing what they need to do. And God bless them for the work they've done in getting these vaccines out and getting them through the system. Um, but we need to do our part to meet them, you know, halfway or more 
toward getting our country healed. You know, that's the bottom line. Uh, I'm sorry if that sounds a little bit like a rant. Uh, I've, I've noticed in listening to some of my prior week shows that I've been a little ranty lately. Uh, you know, and I thought for a moment about, you know, maybe I need to tone it. Nah, I'm bringing the heat. I'm speaking the truth to the real power. And the real power in this country is the people. It's not the elected officials. The people control where this country goes. And we need to take a hold of the reins and guide this country to where it needs to go so that we all can have the best hope of staying alive, staying healthy, uh, and getting back to something like normal uh, you know, as we go forward. So, wow, that's my show this week. Another hour has come and gone. I appreciate you guys listening to me each week. Um, you know, please do everything you can to keep yourselves and your loved ones safe, your community, and, you know, help keep our country safe. Uh, as we get closer and closer, please, uh, everybody have a safe and joyous holiday season. If you don't need to travel over the holidays, please stay at home. Please celebrate responsibly. Uh, it, it is just going to be a, a very brutal winter season in terms of the virus. And everything we can do to help mitigate that is to the better. So with that being said, again, make sure you're doing what you need to do. Mask, distancing, hygiene. Everybody stay safe. Keep your loved ones safe. Uh, this is Steve. This is Fired Up. We come each week talking about the political machine. I look forward to speaking with you each week, and I look even more forward to talking to you again in seven days. Please stay safe, everybody, and happy holidays. Wherever you stand, I'm calling every woman, calling every man. We're the generation we can't afford to wait. The future started yesterday, and we're already.